sermon. Uh, the young man that will be sharing with us, his name is Andrew Goodballet, and he comes to us from Ohio. He's uh, spent the last couple of years serving at a church in California. Um, Highland is looking at uh, the possibility of putting Andrew on our pastoral staff, and uh, so we have the privilege of hearing from him as we hear from God's Word this morning. Um, Andrew uh, has a busy weekend, uh, several days planned with us. He got in last night in the central Wisconsin uh, airport, and uh, we have him preaching several times this morning, so uh, that's just kind of how it goes in ministry sometimes. He came in early and did a 7.30 recording for the tradition service. We didn't quite stoop as low as having him preach over there and then run in here, uh, as we sometimes see Pastor Jeff having to do. Uh, and then from here, he'll go to the Weston campus, and he'll do the uh, 10.30 service sermon there as well. Uh, then he'll have lunch with some of the elders and wives today, and then uh, they'll do a tour of the Wassa area, have a dinner tonight. Tomorrow, they'll spend some time with some of, some of our Highland staff, and then um, he and Megan will each uh, spend time with some uh, guys and gals, respectively, um, and so they have a, a very busy time planned as, uh, before they fly out early Tuesday morning. So... Um, it is truly a joy and a privilege to be able to welcome uh, Andrew. And I just want to let you know also that because he's going to be uh, preaching at the Weston campus after this service, he's, uh, he and Megan are not going to be around to greet and to meet a lot of you folks. So um, the reason you won't see them right after is because they do have to go immediately down to the Weston campus for that 1030 service. So would you give a big Highland welcome to Andrew Goodballet? Well, it is such a privilege to be able to come and be with you this morning and get to preach from God's Word from just an awesome text. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Psalm, and we're going to be looking at the very first Psalm today. But before we jump in, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we are so grateful for this time that we have this weekend to come together as, a, as your body has come, come together as a family and open up your Word and just hear you speak truth into our lives uh, God, we, as we look at this amazing passage, we pray that we have receptive hearts to hear the message that you want us to hear, to make the changes in our life that need to be changed, and to walk away today uh, from just a wonderful worship service where we worshiped you in song, but also were ministered by your word and, and just in, and enjoyed each other's fellowship and all those aspects. So God, as we jump into your word, just please give us um, hearts to listen and just really help us to walk away from here with the changes that we need. In your name, amen. So a couple of months ago, there was a, a half marathon down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida that made national news. Now, usually when you see a race that makes national news, you're expecting to see some type of story and narrative about camaraderie or some type of uh, endurance or, or active selflessness. But this race made the news for a very different reason. It was because of the woman who won the silver medal in this half marathon. You see, after the race was over and the medals were handed out and everything seemed to be over, they started to notice that there was something a little off about this woman's time. In the second half of the race, she ran substantially faster than in the first half of the race, which is not very common at all in, in long races like that. And even more uh, alarming was someone was zooming in on a picture of when she was receiving her medal, and they noticed on her tracker watch that she was about a mile and a half short on her distance from an actual half marathon. So when confronted with this, she tried to deny it for, at first, but finally she fessed up and said, I, I cheated on the race. 
I cut off about a mile and a half. I took the wrong directions. I made my own way. I I cheated during this half marathon, and they were busted from uh, this picture that they were able to retrieve. So she cheated this entire time, and the consequences for her dishonesty, she was embarrassed and had to apologize on national news that she cheated. She was trying to get a job in the athletic arena, and she was hoping that this uh, victory might help her, and I doubt the job wanted to hire her now. Not only that, she was disqualified from the race, and worst of all, she had to return her her silver medal. Her problem was that she wanted to run the race her way. She wanted to receive the reward without putting in the hard work and following the right directions to actually get there. But the reality is life doesn't doesn't work that way. It teaches us a very important truth and a very important principle that we would be wise to remember, which is this. Don't expect to receive the reward if you refuse to follow the right directions. Don't expect to receive the reward if you refuse to follow the right directions. Now, let's think about that in a different context. Let's think about that when it comes to something that everybody in this world is chasing after. Happiness, a blessed life. Happiness is the destination that everyone wants to arrive at. The harder part is finding the right directions to actually get us there. And there are a lot of wrong directions in this world. We come into contact with them all the time. There's a lot of voices that say happiness can be found in buying more and nicer things. Or not only that, happiness can be found by achieving more and more things at work. Or happiness can be found by experiencing whatever it is that you want to experience, regardless of whether it's something that God would say is wrong or sinful or immoral. We come into, those, uh, and come into contact with that kind of counsel and wisdom all the time. As for us, it's not really if we will ever hear these voices in these wrong directions, it's, it's when. Not only that, it would be wise for us to think today, what are we going to do this week when we hear those wrong voices? When we hear those wrong directions telling us to pursue happiness in our own way? Will we see through them and see them for what they are? Or will we bite and give in and say, maybe there really is something to those sinful directions. Maybe there really is something to doing it my way rather than God's way. But God makes it abundantly clear in his word that discovering happiness and a true blessing, it's a theological pursuit. The world says we can only discover happiness when we are making our lives all about fulfilling our desires and our wants and our dreams. But God makes it very clear in his word that we can only discover true happiness when we put all the attention and the focus of our lives on loving and obeying him. So in Psalm 1 today, we're really going to see one large idea, which is this. True happiness can only be found by delighting in God's directions. True happiness can only be found by delighting in God's directions. So with that principle in mind, let's go ahead and open up, and you guys can follow along as I read Psalm 1 aloud. It says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but... His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." You know, this psalm begins by envisioning us all at the same spot. 
And at this spot, there are two divergent paths that we can take in life. One is the road of the righteous, those who do life God's way and follow his directions. The other is the road of the wicked, those who follow the counsel of the world and instead pursue sin and selfishness. Two roads, two lifestyles, and as we see in this passage, two eternal destinations to arrive at. And the thing that differentiates these two roads all boils down to what it is that you love most in your life. The road of the righteous, it's all about loving God and following his instruction. That's what they love most. But the road of the wicked, it's all about loving self and following sin, delighting in sin. So many people, it's sad because so many people long for happiness and long for the blessed life that this psalm prescribes, but they simply never find it because they've been deceived and followed the directions of the world rather than looking at the directions of God's word. So as we unpack this psalm, we're going to see four principles today, four things that we can learn about the truly blessed life. So as we look at the first one, let's look again at the very first verse. Notice how this psalm immediately begins with a dynamic contrast. It says, blessed is the man who does not do these things. It's important for us to realize that as we are wanting to follow the right directions, the very first step in doing that is learning to reject the wrong directions. So you can think about it this way, a a principle that we can see about someone who's truly blessed, a truly blessed person realizes that the world's directions for finding happiness are actually deadly distractions. They're actually deadly distractions. And we need to be so vigilant against those deadly distractions because they're both pervasive and also sin in a sinful lifestyle is also progressive. Just think about how pervasive those wrong directions are. We come in contact with them every single day. Whether it's when we turn on the news, whether it's the media we consume or the entertainment that we enjoy, whether it's the counsel that we get from a coworker at work, or or a family or loved one, or just even the advertisements that we see. All these voices, all these things constantly telling us the wrong direction, saying you need to pursue sin, you need to pursue whatever it is that you want, and that will make you happy. You know, the counsel of the world may come in many different forms, in many different fashions, but the heart of their counsel is always the same. And the heart of their counsel is this, you will be happiest when you get to be the God of your life. You'll be happiest when you get to be the God of your life, when you get to make the rules, when you get to choose what's right or what's wrong for you. Happiness comes from being free to live however it is I want, experience whatever it is that I want to experience and gratify whatever fleshly desires I may have. That's the counsel of the world. I mean, think back to the very first sin that we ever see in God's word, Adam and Eve in the garden. They're tempted to eat of the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And the the idea behind that is you get to decide what's right and wrong for yourself. God's ruling over your lives. You'll be happier if you get to be the rulers of your lives. The way of the world and the directions of the world was predicated on sin and selfishness, and their counsel hasn't changed. Those are the same directions that we come into contact with every single day. It's important for us to realize that. It's important for you to think today Do you realize that you're tempted to play God in your life? Because that's the heart behind every sin that we commit. That's the heart motive. Whether it's the sin of anxiety or dishonesty or or lust or materialism or laziness, whatever it is, the heart motive behind that comes from a sinful heart that's embraced the directions that I am happiest 
when I get to choose what's right and wrong for my life. I am happiest when I follow my way. My way is better and more pleasurable than doing things God's way. I want to be the God of my life. And once we start to embrace that mindset, even just a little bit, we're in grave danger. Because as we see very clearly in verse 1, a sinful lifestyle is progressive. It starts off by just a simple willingness to listen to and consider the counsel of the wicked. The very first thing, blesses the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. And what that's talking about is being influenced by sinful advice. It's just turning our ear and starting to listen, saying maybe the world does have it right. Maybe I am really missing out when I'm living life God's way. It's the idea when we're thinking, you know, I know it's wrong, but that really does seem like a lot of fun. Really does seem like I'm missing out. Or I know it's a little sinful, but it can't really be that bad. Besides, I see a lot of people around me constantly doing that as well that are Christians. So God really can't be displeased by it that much. Or you know, it might be a little bit dishonest, but doing the right thing and being a person of integrity in this instant, instance, it might really come back to bite me. And I don't think God would care that much if I just bent the truth a little bit. The first step in that progressiveness of sin is just being able to turn our ear and say, maybe, maybe all these sinful influences I'm hearing, they have something right that I need to listen to. But it doesn't stay there long. As we see it progresses, blessed is the man who doesn't listen to the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners. And that's talking about conforming to a sinful lifestyle. And notice how the mobility lessens. They go from walking by and walking to the council to now firmly planted and standing right in the midst of the sinners. It's a lot like if you were in a mall and you were walking by and something caught your eye in a window and you, you thought about it and you thought, okay, that looks kind of nice. Five minutes later, you're walking through and you're still thinking about it. Well, before long, you find yourself back in the store. Now you're going through the sales rack. You have that article, whatever it is, and you're getting ready to buy it and purchase it because you want it for yourself. That's the progression that's going on here. It's something caught my eye. Now I'm going to conform to that lifestyle and embrace it. And it's the attitude of thinking, I just want to give this sin a try. But before long, we find ourselves completely trapped in it. And then lastly, and worst of all, you'll find yourself sitting in the seat of scoffers. And that word scoffer, that's a person who mocks the things that God says are good and right. And we live in a society of scoffers. We live in a world that mocks the things that God says are good and true and righteous. That before long, you won't be walking or standing with the wrong crowd. Instead, you'll plop down and just make yourself at home. You're now comfortable with the things that you once knew were so sinful, so wrong, and, and, all, and so offensive to God. And you know, it's easy to think that could never be me. But I imagine that you have a friend or a loved one that you can look at their life right now and said, I would have never thought they'd be where they are. And the reality is that can be any of us if we stop delighting in God's directions and start giving any attention or any ear to the directions of the world. That's our defense, listening to God's directions. The sinful lifestyle progresses one small compromise at a time. It's not like a few months ago I went uh, hiking at the Grand Canyon with a few friends and we wanted to make it from the top of the canyon all the way to the floor and back during, in, in one day. A lot of people kind of looked at us and we got a late start and they said, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. And we were looking at the mileage and we didn't think it was that big of a deal, but they said, listen, listen, Every hour you go down into the canyon, it takes two hours to get back out. It's twice as hard. It takes twice as much effort. It takes twice as much energy to climb back out of the canyon. That's how it is with sin. It's very easy going down the path 
of unrighteousness. It's very easy to go down into the canyon. It's a lot harder to get back out. So how does the righteous person avoid ever going down into the canyon? Or if we have found ourselves on the road of the wicked, how do we get back to following the road of the righteous? How do we get back to that? Well, verse number two shows us the second characteristic of someone who's truly happy and also shows us the remedy. It's this, a truly blessed person delights in God's word and follows his instruction. Blessed is the man who doesn't do these things, but he delights in something else and his delight is in God's word. The truly blessed person finds no delight and no satisfaction in a sinful lifestyle. He finds no delight. They find no delight in in thinking about or imagining uh, just living in sin or those different types of things. Instead, this person has learned to delight in something totally different. A person who's truly happy will always be a person who genuinely loves God's commands and loves doing life God's way. That's the secret to finding true happiness and a blessed life. It's the humble posture of remembering that I'm not the God of my life. I shouldn't want to make the rules. It's the realization that the sinful lifestyle that I chose has only brought me pain and punishment. And I was trapped in that sinful lifestyle, but God loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. And he died so that I could be set free from the captivity of sin. I could be set free from the road of the wicked and I could get back to loving God. I can get back to obeying him and I can get back to the path of life, the way of living that God always intended for me to follow, the way that he created me to be. And God tells us that the directions for the road of the righteous and the path of life that we get to follow, that we should embrace, are right here in his word. Verse number two, he delights in the law of the Lord. He delights in scripture. That word Torah can refer uh, to all of God's word because all of God's word is breathed out and, and profitable for instruction and training, but it's specifically talking about God's commands. What's right, what's wrong. God's rules, they're right here in his word. And we need to learn to love God's life giving instructions. Notice what he says our relationship to God's word should be like. To obey God's word should be a total delight to us. And the word delight is a powerful word. It's talking about a hunger, a craving. It's the same idea where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. God wants our daily sanctification and our daily choice of righteous living to be a a delight to us to be something that we are excited about and love to do. It should be a lot like going to the gym or going for a long and strenuous run. It's hard. It's uncomfortable, especially if you're like me and you're out of shape. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. But afterwards, you feel great because you know that you're getting stronger, fitter, leaner, healthier. You're investing in something that's worthwhile. That's how we need to see time spent reading God's word and studying his commands and living it out. Sure, it's hard. It's going to be difficult. It points out my failures. It pushes me to grow in godliness. It tells me daily there's things that I need to be putting off in my life and there's things that I need to be putting on in my life. It reminds me often that there's a lot of things that I need to change, but in the end it's a delight because it's making me stronger spiritually. It's making me healthier spiritually. It's making me fitter spiritually. And you know what? Yet for many of us, a one-word descriptor of how we relate to God's word and God's commands, it's usually not the word delight. A different word that we could often plug in there is probably duty. Or maybe even worse, maybe, maybe drudgery. A good way to relate 
to see how we're relating to God's word is just seeing how much time we spend in God's word. There's a survey done last year where they polled average, uh, people who went to church every single week and asked them, what does your time in God's word look like on a weekly basis? 45% of people said, I open up God's word once a week on my own, maybe a little bit more. 45% said once or more. 40% of people who attend church every single week said, I open up God's word once or twice a month. And then 15% said, I, I, never, I never read God's word at all. Those statistics don't sound like people who are delighting in God's word. If we were delighting it, we'd be spending time in it. And it's so sad because there's a lot of people in our society, in our world, who aren't happy. And it's because we're not following the right directions. We've been following the directions of the world instead. We will never delight in the law of the Lord until we start genuinely believing that there's nothing better than knowing God and trusting that he alone has the words of life. We need to embrace the mindset that the psalmist has in Psalm 19. At the end of verse 9, he starts, he says, the rules of the Lord are true. That's where we find truth. Not in our culture, not in the advice of the world. The, the rules of the Lord are, are true, and they're righteous altogether. More to be desired in our life are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there's great reward. You look at the attitude of David that he had to God's word. He didn't see God's commands as a duty or drudgery or burdensome. He saw them as a delight. He said that God's word is what keeps me in bounds in my life for my ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. So if we want to experience true blessing and true happiness in our life, it all starts by changing our perspective to God's instructions. We need to learn to trust them. We need to learn to study them. We need to learn to love them and open up our lives daily to the piercing ministry of God's, God's word. Our lives need to be consumed with scripture. And that's exactly where the psalmist goes next at the end of verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He meditates. He consumes his thoughts with that. When you see that word meditation, don't think of the, the sense of Eastern uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual religions or anything where meditation is about emptying your mind. The biblical idea of meditation, that word actually means to repeat or to murmur, to say to yourself. It's rehearsing. It's like having a piece of gum that you're chewing on and just mulling that over time and time again. It's what we need to be doing with God's word. We need to be meditating on it day and night. And the reason why is we need to realize an important principle, uh, principle about meditation. Meditation leads to transformation. Whatever it is that consumes our thoughts and our attentions and our affections, that will transform the way we think, the way we feel, and the way that we act. It's like steeping a bag of tea in hot water. You start with a cup of boiling hot water, and each time you dunk the tea bag in, it re releases a little bit more of the tea, a little bit more of the flavor, the odor, the color. And slowly but surely, it's changing that cup of hot water into a cup of tea. It's exactly what we need to be doing with God's word. Each dunk, each time we intake it into our lives, it's slowly transform, transforming us a little bit more into the likeness of Christ. And a little bit less like the way that we used to be. So we need to ask ourselves today, what is it that consumes my thoughts? What is it that gets me excited? What is it that I can't go a day without thinking or doing? And if spending time in God's word isn't one of our answers then we desperately need to change our outlook on God's word. And we need to start experiencing the joy of spending time with God. Imagine this, tomorrow is Monday morning, the start of the work week. What would it look like if you started your work week like this? Alarm goes off and it's quiet in the house. 
You sneak downstairs, you make a cup of your favorite coffee, you pour that out, and then you walk out onto your patio to enjoy the gorgeous, beautiful, cool air of a Wisconsin summer morning. And you sit down, you open up your Bible, you open up a journal and hand with a pen, and you just sit there and listen to God speak to you by spending time in his word. By God refreshing your soul and your spirit and telling you, this is, this is what you need to be doing in your life today. Now, don't tell me that doesn't sound good. Who doesn't want to enjoy and experience that? So many times we just never make the commitment to actually doing it. So if you want to see your life transformed, if you want to see victory over sin, if you want to see your perspective of God change, if you want to be happier and more joyful in your life, you need to be spending time in God's word. And why not make that a reality tomorrow morning? That'd be a great thing to do. That's huge. So in the first two verses, we see the prescription for happiness. In the next two verses, we see the prospects of what a happy and blessed life actually look like. So look again at verses three and four. In these verses, we see two different word pictures. We see the blessed life being compared to a healthy and flourishing tree. And we see the, the way of the wicked being compared to dead and worthless chaff. The third thing that we can take away about the truly blessed life is this. A truly blessed person chooses the lasting prosperity of loving God over the passing pleasure of seeking sin. Notice these two different pictures. The very first one we see is the description of the righteous life. He'll be like a well-watered tree who's always green, who's, whose leaf doesn't wither, who's producing life and always bearing fruit and truly prosperous. This picture illustrates a person who finds their joy in God. That's, that's what it's like to a tree planted by the water. It's drawing its sustenance and it's drawing its refreshment from God. And that is a source that never runs out and never dries up. Jeremiah 17, in a similar, uh, similar verse, says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. And it does not fear when the heat comes. It doesn't fear when life gets hard. For its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought, when there's trials and difficulties. For it does not cease to bear fruit. Nothing can take our happiness away when we're trusting in God because our happiness is no longer derived from our circumstances. We don't have to fear when life gets hard. We don't have to fear when life doesn't go our way. We don't have to fear when trials and difficulties emerge. We can still be happy and fruitful and joyful because the source of our happiness isn't in our possessions or our circumstances, but we've learned to find our happiness in our enduring and intimate relationship with God. It's exactly the secret that Paul talks about in Philippians 4 when he says, whether it's being brought low or raised up, whether it's in need or having plenty, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says, I can, do, I can encounter any circumstance in life and still be joyful because my secret is Christ in my life. And it's Christ that strengthens me and gives me the power to continue on. Your happiness will fail if it sources anything other than your relationship with God. Because your circumstances, they will change. People will let you down at times. Hardships will come and trials will always be looming. But God will never change. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And God will never let us down. We need to invest our life in the lasting prosperity of a relationship with God over the passing pleasure of sin. And this passage reminds us that it's the person who loves God and is following the way of the righteous that's truly prosperous. And to understand that, though, we have to have the right understanding of what that word prosperity means. We need to use a different measure than the world. Because when the world's talking about a prosperous life, it always looks immediately at money or possessions or comfort or status or, or achievement. 
And you know what? Those things very well might be in the life of a Christian. God might bless us with those things, but they, we might not experience those as well. This prosperity that we see in this verse is not so much an outward prosperity, but an inward and spiritual prosperity. It's the joy and satisfaction of remembering that I invested my life in things that truly matter in light of eternity. It's the prosperity of looking back at the end of our lives and realizing I laid up the treasure of my life in heaven, not here on earth where moth and dust will deteriorate and rust and corrupt. I invested my life in loving God and loving other people and glorifying him. Things that will matter for all of eternity. Because God and, and people, those are things that are eternal. It's a life invested in your relationship with God rather than selfish pursuits and sin. And that is a life that's truly prosperous. And the wicked miss out on that prosperity. Their entire lives are invested in things that won't matter a week after they are no longer on this earth. They invest their life in treasure where moth and dust do corrupt. It's all here on earth. And the waste, they waste their lives in, in a way that this psalm even compares their life to dead and worthless chaff. In verse 4 it says, the wicked, they're not prosperous. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Their life is going to be empty. They're not ever going to be satisfied. They're always going to be searching and longing for more. Chaff is the dead covering of grain, which is valuable. It says it's separated and just blown off. It doesn't matter where it goes. It, it has no roots. It has no worth. It has no permanence. That's the description of the life of someone who follows the way of the wicked. Sin is fleeting, and it can't produce true, lasting satisfaction. In our last verse, we see something even worse than a wasted life that you have when you follow the way of the wicked. We see that following the way of the wicked also ends in God's judgment and God's punishment. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The fourth thing we can learn about the truly blessed life is this. A, a truly blessed person constantly considers the final destinations of both the righteous and the wicked. The classic book, Pilgrim's Progress, wisely compares the Christian life and experience to a long journey, a long road trip. It's a journey and a road trip that we're all a part of. And the destination that we are headed towards dramatically impacts the way that we interpret the journey. Think about it this way. Let's say this coming weekend you have to go on a business trip and you have to take a 10-hour drive to go to a conference that you know is going to be boring. There's no one else there you know. You have, you're going to be away from your family. You have no desire whatsoever to be at this conference. That 10-hour drive is going to feel like misery. You're not going to want to be there. You're going to be thinking of all the things you wish you could rather be doing and you are not going to enjoy one minute of that car ride. Now imagine this instead. Spend two weeks, these last two weeks you haven't seen your family. And you know this coming weekend there's a 10-hour car ride, but at the end of it, the destination is a cabin by a lake, and you get to spend your entire weekend with your family. I bet your perspective of that journey is going to be a lot different. It's still 10 hours long. It's still something you have to go through, but you're going to be happy. You're going to be excited because you know where you are headed. That's what the psalmist says we need to be doing in our lives. We're all headed to a destination, and we need to be mindful of what destination we're headed to because it dramatically impacts the way that we spend this journey called life. And the very first destination that we see is the way of the world, and it leads to perishing. Notice the three descriptors that we see in verses 5 and 6. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. On the day of judgment, when they give an account of their lives to God, they will not stand, which is a metaphorical way of saying they will not be declared innocent. They'll be found guilty of their sins and trespasses. And then secondly, it says they won't be found in the congregation of the righteous. 
There will be a separation that day of those who are righteous, those who God knows, those who God loves, and those who are going to experience God's punishment. There will be a separation of those two forever. And then lastly, at the very end of the verse, it says in verse 6, the way of the wicked will perish. Those are the people that will face God's punishment and God's wrath. They'll perish for their sins and their rebellion. And these are the people that they will hear God say to them, depart from me, you workers of unrighteousness, for I never knew you. And they'll spend eternity separated from God in a place of punishment. That's one destination. But there's another destination. Destination number two is the way that God's word takes us to. And that leads to life. It says in verse five, or verse six, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. That word know is a deep, beautiful word. It means that God has brought you into a permanent relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is a relationship where you experience his love and are kept by his care. The person who is known by God is the person who's truly happy and truly satisfied, not only in this life, but for all of eternity as well. Really, the trajectory of this entire psalm is forcing us at the end of it to ask the question, am I really known by God? Or to phrase it another way, what road am I on? What am I delighting in? Sin and selfish pursuits or serving my Savior? So if we're boiling down the concept of Psalm 1 to take away, it's really encouraging us to do this. Keep your destination in mind, follow the right directions, and avoid the, avoid the deadly distractions of life. It reminds me of um, a story I read about a plane that actually had a crash landing in the Florida Ever, Everglades years ago. As it was coming in for a, a descent, the captain noticed that there was a blinking light on the dashboard. It had nothing to do with any major mechanical problems or anything. It was just irritating. So he's looking at this light. It's bothering him. He grabs the co-pilot. They're both looking at it. They get the rest of the crew. They're all looking at this blinking light, and they're frustrated by it as they're trying to descend in. Well, they didn't realize because they'd taken their eyes off the destination and they weren't following the right directions anymore that they had disengaged the autopilot. And the entire time that they're looking at this blinking light for minutes and minutes and minutes, the plane's getting lower and lower and lower until finally the pilot realizes and says, we're going to crash right into the Florida Everglades. In our life, there's going to be a lot of blinking lights on the dashboard trying to get our attention and distract us from what's really important. There's going to be a lot of sin a lot of temptation, a lot of wrong directions there, blinking and trying to grab our attention, saying, look here, look here, look here. And God says, the person who finds true happiness knows he needs to keep his eyes on the destination. He needs to keep following the right directions. He needs to avoid those deadly distractions. And the only way that we're going to do that is if we are daily delighting in God's word. So I hope that's something that we commit to doing today. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we are so grateful for this amazing passage and this pointed reminder that we need to be people who are Bible-saturated. We need to be people who are in love with your word, absolutely in love with it, and people who are not only in love with reading it and studying it, but living it out. God, help us to see that living life our way only leads in pain and punishment, but God, when we do life your way, it leads to happiness and it leads to a relationship with you. So help us to wisely ponder that today. Help us to think and evaluate where we are with you. And God, help us to ensure that we are walking fully and completely on the road of the righteous and following the path of life. We're so grateful for you making that possible through the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. God, thank you for the grace and mercy you have showered on us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.